Well, welcome, everybody. I want to thank you for attending our Good Friday service here, and I know um, there are some that are watching it online, and we welcome you to this service. I was chatting to a few of you before the service, and uh, normally when I'm up here, I'm excited, I'm bouncing off the wall. Some of you say that I'm doing backflips. I don't think I'm quite there all the time, but maybe a little bit close. But today, I can't do that, because while I'm thankful and grateful and, and happy to be here, in a sense, I realize and I recognize that, that what we're taking the time to talk about and, and hold this service for represents great pain and great tragedy and um, sorrow that had to happen. And I'm so thankful for this season and this moment to be celebrating Good Friday with each of you as we take this time to recognize the sacrifice that was made by Jesus on the cross, but at the same time, too, I don't relish it. Because I realize that this sacrifice is a result of my own doing, in reality of all of our doing. Because each and every single person in this room has fallen short of God's glory. I want to read some scripture to you. And we have a lot of reading that's going to be going on today. But I think this scripture here serves as a good reminder of what was prophesied over the Lord's life. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 52. Now, if you didn't know, Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. But yet, in its full reading of 52 and 53, you see one of the clearest pictures of what happened on the day that Jesus was crucified. God was setting this up. God was willingly giving his life over for each and every single one of us. I'm going to read now from Isaiah 53, and I'll start with verse 2 and read just a few verses for you. It says this, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Written hundreds of years before. I want to give permission to each and every single one of you. I know many of you that are in the room today are participating in this service, and I'm very grateful for that. And 
while I'm sure there's plenty online that are listening to us today as well, I want to give you permission, as well as permission to everybody in here, to allow yourself to feel what's going on. To recognize that this moment is meant to be somber because what happened on the cross was truly a tragedy. That we caused the greatest pain and suffering on this man. And while it is a tragedy, there is beauty in it because he willingly did it to show us his love. So take time during today's service to allow the words that are spoken and the message that is given to wash over you in a way that helps you appreciate and recognize what Jesus did. I want to point your attention to now to these candles, and I know that you can see them online. What's going to be going on in this service is these candles that we have before us here. There's 12 candles represent the light that Jesus brought into the world. Scripture says, light among darkness. And progressively throughout the service, we are going to extinguish each candle. And as we extinguish each candle that's supposed to represent the light of this world being taken or snuffed out, that Jesus' light that he's bringing us is dying. Eventually, we're going to make our way to the middle candle, which is the final candle, which represents the Christ. And this Christ candle we will also extinguish. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask each of you to exit in silence. And when that time comes, I, I, I hope that you honor that out of respect to, to Jesus and our faith. And I hope that as you look at these different things going on in the service, whether it be the songs, the candle, that you take time to think about Jesus' great sacrifice in your life. At this time, I'm going to go ahead and invite um, Jessica in Ruth to the stage, who is going to be leading us in worship along with Barb. Okay. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great sacrifice. We thank you for this time as we uh, take this moment to reflect on all that you did, Lord. I'm reminded how in the garden you asked for this cup to be taken away from you. But you continued to say, let your will be done. Lord, we're grateful that you were willing to do what you did. May that moment never be lost on any of us. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. At this time, I'd like to invite up those who are going to be reading for us today. As I said earlier, we're going to be reading select portions of the Passion Narrative, and we'll be taking communion a little bit later as well. And all these fine people here agreed to participate in the service and read for us, and we're appreciative of that. So I'd like to invite Leonard up to do our first reading now. It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The religious leaders who collaborated with the Roman occupation were conspiring against Jesus. They had gathered in the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest. This man had received the high priesthood at the hand of Valerius Gratus, the former Roman governor, and now retained the office under Pontius Pilate. They were all planning to arrest and destroy Jesus quietly so that they could avoid a popular revolt among the Jews. At this time, Jesus was lodging at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. While he was there, a woman approached and anointed him from an alabaster jar of pure nard. When his disciples saw the act, they were outraged. Why this waste, they demanded. Such costly ointment might have been sold for a larger sum and given to the poor. Jesus responded, Why do you bother the woman? The poor are always with you. Indeed, I tell you that, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in her memory. Then one of the twelve, named Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What will you give me if I deliver Jesus to you for the governor? When they heard the offer, they were glad and promised Judas thirty pieces of silver. From that hour, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. At the beginning of the feast, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, the disciples of Jesus approached him and asked, Where do you wish us to prepare the Passover meal? Jesus took two of his disciples and instructed them, Go into the city, and you will see there a man carrying a water jar. He will show you a suitable place. The two did as Jesus commanded. They entered the city where they found the man with the water jar, who brought them to a large upper room.
When evening had come, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you truly that one of you is going to betray me. The disciples were stunned with grief and began to protest one after the others, saying, Surely not I. Jesus replied, The betrayer is the one dipping his hand in this dish with me. The Son of Man is fulfilling Scripture, but woe to that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Then Judas slipped out into the night. This next portion of the reading represents the continuation of taking in communion. Communion is a very unique part of Christian life. Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of him, to be reminded of his sacrifice that was to come, the bloodshed, the brokenness, so I, at this time, am going to invite you to take communion with me. And if Marie and Leonard, I know that you are up here serving, even though you're our ushers. So I'm going to go ahead and see if I can ask Stan and Phil to pass the elements around, if you would not mind. They're up right here in order to take communion. Communion is an important time. But it is a time that I believe that is reserved for those of us who believe. So if you do not consider yourself a, as a Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus, then I would just ask that when the communion um, cup is passed along, that you just simply make an X over yourself to not receive it. Um, but at this time, I, I'd like for you, Phil and Stan, to, to pass these elements around as I read the next section. says this, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. After reciting the blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As he said, take, eat this, my body. At this time, go ahead and take out the bread. And eat it with me. Then after they ate the bread, it says, Then taking the cup with the traditional blessing, he gave it to his disciples as he said, This is my, bot, this is my blood of the covenant which is being shed for many. I tell you in truth that I shall not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it fresh in the kingdom of God. Let us drink together. Then, having sung a hymn, they left the city for the Mount of Olives.
As they walked, Jesus said to his disciples, you will all desert me this very night. So it is written by the prophet Zechariah, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then Peter protested, though all desert, I will remain by you. Jesus replied, I tell you truly that in this very night before the cock crows twice, you shall deny me three times. Still Peter maintained, even though I must die with you, I will never deny you, and so declared all the disciples. Jesus halted at an olive grove called Gethsemane. Then going apart with Peter, James, and John, he left them on watch and continued a little farther alone. Then he fell on his face in anguished prayer. Soon he returned to the three on watch and found them sleeping. Rousing them, he asked Peter, could you not watch with me for just one hour? Watch and pray that you are not put to the test for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, Jesus went apart in troubled prayer, and again he returned to find the disciples sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. A third time, Jesus withdrew to pray, and a third time he found the disciples sleeping. Then Jesus said, sleep on and finish your rest. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus had not finished speaking before Judas, one of his own disciples, arrived with a group of Roman soldiers and other armed men from the temple. Now the betrayer had arranged with the authorities for a sign and had said, The man who I kiss is the one you want. In accord with this arrangement, Judas went directly to Jesus and cried out, Greetings, Master. Then he gave him the kiss. Jesus responded, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Immediately, the soldiers laid hands on Jesus and held him fast. Then one of the disciples with Jesus drew his sword and cut off an ear from the slave of the high priest. But Jesus said to him, Sheath your sword. All who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not know that I can call upon my father and that he will respond at once with more than twelve legions of angels? Then turning to the mob, Jesus continued, Have you come for me as against a rebel bandit with swords and clubs? Why did you not seize me in the temple where I sat teaching by day? Were you so afraid of the Jewish people that you must come for me by stealth? Nevertheless, your actions are fulfilling the words of the prophets. Then all of his disciples forsook him and fled. Those who had seized Jesus brought him to Caiaphas, whom the Romans had made a high priest. Peter followed at a distance as far as the courtyard. Then he sat with the attendants and warmed himself by the fire. The high priest had gathered his whole council, and they began to arrange the case 
against Jesus, which they would present to Pontius Pilate, the governor. The charge was that Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews, and they brought in many false witnesses, but to no avail. Finally, two came forward and testified. We heard this man say, I will tear down this temple made with hands, and within three days build another not made with hands. The testimony was evidence that Jesus claimed an authority over temple affairs, which traditionally belonged only to the rulers of Israel, and in those days, Israel was ruled from Rome. Yet even these witnesses were unable to agree on their testimony. Finally, Caiaphas stood up and examined Jesus directly. Have you no answer to these charges, demanded the high priest. Jesus remained silent and answered nothing. Then the high priest put the question of kingship in terms of the royal titles. Anointed and son of God, are you the, the anointed one, the son of the blessed, he probed. Jesus answered, I am, and you shall see the son of man seated on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest turned and said, what need have we of witnesses? He has condemned himself. They all concurred that Jesus was indeed worthy of death. Then those holding Jesus began to spit on him. They covered his face and were striking him as they taunted him and said, O anointed one, prophesy who it is who is striking you.
Now Peter was warming himself in the courtyard when a small slave girl entered. She confronted Peter and said, you also were with this Jesus the Nazarene. Peter quickly gave a denial. I do not know what you are talking about, he replied, and went outside into the gateway. Meanwhile, the cock crowed. The slave girl followed Peter out and said to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Again, Peter denied knowing Jesus. After a little while, the bystanders said directly to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you speak with a Galilean accent. Then Peter began to swear with an oath, I do not know this person of whom you are speaking. But the cock interrupted him as it crowed for the second time. Immediately, Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. When morning arrived, all of the chief priests, along with the other Roman collaborators, bound Jesus and delivered him over to Pontius Pilate, the imperial Roman governor. When Judas saw what was happening, he knew that Jesus was doomed, and he repented. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and confessed, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. What is that to us, they responded. That is your affair. Judas threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple. Then he went out and hanged himself. Picking up the silver pieces, the chief priest said, it is unlawful to put this silver into the treasury, for it is blood money. Whereupon they used the money to buy the potter's field for the burial of strangers. Therefore, that field is known to this day as the field of blood. Jesus stood before the Roman governor as the accusers made their charge. We found this man perverting our nation, they said. He was forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor and proclaiming himself anointed king. The governor asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you say so. The chief priests were accusing him of many things. Therefore, Pilate again spoke to Jesus. Have you no answer to give, he asked. Look at how many accusations they are making. Jesus astonished Pilate by remaining silent.
At that festival, the governor used to release a prisoner, and some were urging Pilate to do so at this time. Now, there was a notable rebel in prison with those who had committed murder during the insurrection. His name was Jesus Barabbas. Therefore, the chief priests arranged a demonstration to demand Barabbas. Pilate asked them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Anointed One? The demonstrators shouted, Barabbas! Pilate responded, What shall I do then with Jesus the Anointed One? The crowd shouted, Crucify him! Pilate continued, Are you certain of his guilt? The crowd took up the chant, Crucify him! Crucify him! Again, Pilate spoke, Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, cried the demonstrators. Then Pilate agreed to release Jesus Barabbas, but Jesus, the anointed one, he handed over to his soldiers for scourging and crucifixion. The soldiers led Jesus away within the governor's palace. There they assembled the whole battalion. They clothed Jesus in royal purple. They set a crown of thorns upon his head and shoved a reed between his fingers for a scepter. They began to mock him by kneeling before him and proclaiming, Hail, King of the Jews! They also spat on him and smote him on the head with a stick. Then, after mocking him, they took away the purple, returned his own clothes, and brought him out to crucify him. On the road, they met an African of Cyrene named Simon coming in from the countryside. Him they compelled to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means skull. There they crucified him. They offered him wine mingled with myrrh, but he refused it. His garments they divided among themselves, casting lots for them. Over his head they inscribed the charge against him, the King of Jews. Also, there were two insurrectionists crucified with him, one to his right and one to his left. Those who passed by were shaking their heads in derision and saying, So, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the priestly collaborators mocked him as they said to one another, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Anointed One, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Even the two crucified with him reviled him.
Now from midday there was darkness over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At that hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Ila, Ila, lema shaveti, words that mean, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. One of them put a sponge full of vinegar on a stick and laid it to his lips. Others said, Wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. Then Jesus, having uttered a loud cry, breathed his last breath. Light has gone out of the world. Before Jesus gave his last breath, he uttered these words to Telestine, which means it is 
finished. It is time now to come to terms with the fact that each and every single one of us, that you have crucified the Lord of glory and that there is nothing else left for us here. You may now exit the sanctuary in the darkness that we are now in. And I ask that as you do, that you remain quiet in reverent respect for the Lord. And that if you do talk, that you would leave that to outside of the building. You may be dismissed.